Hey, listeners, are you enjoying this show by chance? If so, give us a rating or review on the Apple Podcast Store. It's easy to do. It helps us out. And you can do it right now. In fact, here are a couple of reviews I really enjoyed reading. Hey, Jackert writes, love this podcast. Tig is hilarious. I have to be careful when listening to this show when I'm at the gym. My laughter has almost made me fall off the treadmill. Kay Jackert, I want you to be safe. Please be safe while working out. However, if you do fall off the treadmill and somebody films it and you are okay and in one piece, send me that footage. And then we got this note from Jennifer. Thank you for the episode with Samantha B. in September 2021. The discussion on grief was a blessing for me. I wrote down your quote, if you don't take time for your health, you're going to have to take time for your illness. Jennifer, I am thrilled to hear that that quote, which is not my quote, it's just something that I read along the way. In fact, I've come across it many times. I'm glad that resonated with you because it completely changed my life when I read that. So that's nice to hear. The rest of you Don't Ask Tig listeners, do me a favor and leave me a review. Maybe I'll read it on a future episode. Also, don't forget that I have a major market national tour and tickets are on sale now. I'm also going to Canada. So I'm hitting a couple of nations. You can find more info at my website, tignotaro.com. Now on with the show. It's personally very gratifying, like, for yeah. me to know, like, oh, I struggled. But when you're the lowest grade in the class <laughs> and you uh -huh. studied so hard and you could still just squeak by with that C minus. Yeah. It's a strange kind of pride, you know. And you become a TV star. That's, that's right. <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig, and your final Jeopardy category is podcast hosts you shouldn't ask for advice. The correct response, who is Tig Notaro? You know my next guest as a host on the classic TV game show Jeopardy. She also played the lead role of Blossom on the NBC sitcom Blossom and Dr. Amy Farah Fowler on Big Bang Theory. Mayim Bialik, thanks for joining me on the show. It is an honor to be here. Thank you. Is it an honor? You're really awesome. It's like a really neat thing to get to talk to you, not once in my life, but twice. You are kind. I'm thrilled to have you. I really enjoyed doing your podcast. I think you're uh, pretty spectacular yourself. Thank you. So among the um, various topics keeping you in the news these days, there's the ongoing question of who will host Jeopardy? How has one of the most nerdy old school shows on television morphed into a months long soap opera? 
you know, I didn't know how much people cared, but uh-huh. I had to realize that in the decades long history of Jeopardy, this is the first decade that the internet has existed during. That's true. I think there's also something to that. You know, it's kind of like when people talk about like, oh, are things harder than they used to be in general? Is it harder to be a woman? Is it harder to be a parent? To me, everything's harder because it's magnified. It is open for a forum of discussion. I don't know if most of the people on Twitter even watch Jeopardy, but Mm -hmm. they certainly have a lot of opinions about who should or should not stand behind that podium. Yeah. And what do you think makes you a good Jeopardy host? Um, It's funny. I haven't been asked that, you know, of all the things I've been asked about it. um, What I know to be true is that I'm a performer. Mm -hmm. I am a science communicator. And I was trained in college and graduate school to communicate things that other people don't understand in ways that hopefully make sense to them. And it's funny because it wasn't a strong week in my life when I went down the rabbit hole and looked at some comments. And, you know, a lot of people obviously um, feel like she always makes it about her. And then other people will say she never makes it about her. What are you talking about? So there's a real subjective quality. Yeah. A lot of it does come down to do I rub you the wrong way? You know, which if I had a nickel for every time I had to ask that in my life. Um, but for me, like I said, I, I am a performer and I'm a science communicator and not everything I communicate on Jeopardy is science, but um, it's often outside of the realms of things that many of us have knowledge about. So now in the past, you've, um, you know, you've made remarks about vaccines and Me Too and the Middle East, uh, amongst other controversial topics. Uh, when you're sharing your opinions, do you expect to get pushback or are you surprised? Yeah, I mean, I I come from a family in which, you know, I was raised to be a rebel rouser. My parents were civil rights activists um, mm-hmm. and they were also public school teachers, which is their own kind of rebel rousing. Um, they participated in sit-ins to allow black students into the New York public school system in the 60s. So I come from loud people. I come from strong women. The fact that I have a platform with which to try and clarify things Mm -hmm. is a really nice thing. For example, the assumption that people continue to have that I'm an anti-vaxxer is completely not true. I I am vaccinated. My children are vaccinated. Um, So the, the notion that the court of public opinion kind of gets to form their own kind of army around Mm -hmm even things that you're being misquoted as or something you literally did not say is circulated to tens of thousands of people with a real, real fervor. That's strange to me, but, um, you know, I, I've always been different. Being a woman in science was its own kind of different. And um, being a liberal Zionist, apparently that's shocking to people. Like that I have family in Israel is like, oh my gosh, she has family. Yes, I do. So to me, it's also like, <laughs> You don't have to love every single thing that every human does. And I'm an old fashioned liberal. People are allowed to believe what they want, even if I don't agree with them. And that's a Mm -hmm. lot of sort of, you know, when, especially when conservative people challenge me on things, like I don't have to love every single thing that everyone does, but I believe in human rights. I believe in letting people have their human experience. And of course, the conversation around COVID becomes a lot more about public safety, which is why I am vaccinated as are my children. So right. There's nuance. Correct. And that's been lost in this era of social media and kind of those kind of politics online. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all feeling mixed ways about it. 
Um, but I'd like to believe that on any given day, the internet can do good. But on other mm. days, especially as a mother, I'm like, let's just shut it all down. What if we don't have <laughs> the house anymore? And like, just let them go where they may. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't follow pop culture and now I'm moving away from salacious news. And I tell everyone, I feel like I'm on a raft that has been cut away from the, <laughs> the, the ship and I'm just floating away into the darkness. Well, and it's funny because I, I also had a similar experience in particular over COVID because my anxiety went through the roof and I'm already at like a seven and a half just when I mm-hmm. put my eyes. And, um, and I realized that anticipatory fear, like I don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen next. And that was a true thing. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And I wasn't sure what information to trust, which again, that's just where we kind of all found ourselves. And we're still there to some degree. We're still there. But I definitely feel very out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's a trade-off though, because I'm, I, I sleep better and I don't have heartburn when I'm (laughs) on that roller coaster. Well, yeah. It's like, how is this serving you? How is this serving your life? And what do you feel uh, as far as the responsibility of public figures sharing their opinions publicly? Um, you know, I think if I had to decide one way or the other, I'd say, how about no? <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't have to decide one way or the other. And so what you get is take what you like and leave the rest. And you mm-hmm. get nuance and you get to remember that public figures are people too. Um, Mm -hmm. especially of the influencer variety and the actor variety, you know, I'm a human. I like when people say things that I agree with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. feels good. It, it does. And, um, you know, I, I like to feel like I'm not alone and I think that's helpful, but I also, again, as an old fashioned liberal, I do feel for people who are conservative or socially conservative, they're allowed to be that way. But yeah, I think that it's been really clear when something is insightful, hate speech. And I'm pretty certain I know what that line is. And as Mm -hmm. a Jewish person who's 2% of the United States population, it's kind of like, it's like porn. You know it when you see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't mean to use an extreme example, but to me, that's kind of how clear it is, is there are certain mm-hmm. things where it's like, oh, this is someone I don't agree with. And this is someone who is damaging human beings and creating discourse that is insightful and hateful. And I think we get to talk to the, you know, ADL about it. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting how divided people get. Uh, again, this is not a political statement. I think that last presidency, opened Mm -hmm. up a lot of old wounds, Mm -hmm. opened up a lot of eyes. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, our country was already kind of at its knees. The Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. movement, um, gay rights, trans rights, those have been simmering, brewing and boiling for a long Mm -hmm. time. And it's a very interesting time to raise children. There's something about where we're finding ourselves that has kind of everything coming to a head in new ways And the fact that many of us have had to kind of turn it off and shut it down doesn't necessarily feel healthy to me, but Mm -hmm. I also know that I can only do so much with the genetics and the environment that has created the mental health situation that I'm in. I can take so much. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting road ahead. 
to say the very least. Now, we're about to get into the advice part, but I just, out of utter curiosity, and I'm sure you get it asked all the time, are you in touch with Bet? <laughs> um, we, we are not actively in touch, but we have had contact over the years. Okay. And of course, we're talking about Bette Midler. Of course, the one and only, the divine. The one and only. You are in Beaches. People also need to remember when Beaches came out, it was 1988. Right. The the notion of a, a child keeping in uh. touch with a grown ass woman who was also extremely famous was not like an easy <laughs> No, it wasn't like, oh, we bonded so much. Let's- Do you have her number? Do you have her email? No. no. I mean, I, I see her on Twitter. The woman is on fire on Twitter. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, All right. A very active um, Twitter presence. And we've, um, we did, we both did a talk show a day apart, a, a local LA kind of. Okay. Now we're getting closer. Well, and she, she left me a recorded message for the next. Oh, okay. Year. And like, that was really incredible. Look, I had to ask, my wife is obsessed with Bette Midler. And so I can see myself telling her how, and she's like, how did it go? Did you ask about Bette? Oh, I forgot. Um, That's not possible. Anyway, do you enjoy giving advice? (laughs) Unsolicited is my favorite kind. Yes. Great. My nickname was Freud as a child. My parents called me Freud because I was always getting into everybody's business and trying to fix things. That might be a sign that I grew up in a dysfunctional home. I'll let you be the judge. (laughs) Couldn't have been worse than mine. Okay. So you're a parent and our first question is about a person considering becoming one. Single and enjoying life writes, I'm happily single and generally always have been single I always thought I'd be married with kids and follow the same path as my parents, but this is just not how life worked for me. Now, as I enter my late 30s, I'm seriously considering whether to adopt a kid and become a single parent. I have so much swirling in my head. Am I doing this to follow social norms or am I doing this because I truly want to be a parent? Kids seem to bring my friends so much joy and laughter, but these Friends also have a partner to help manage everything, which I won't have. Some people just seem to know they need to be a parent and others know they should not. What about people in the middle? How do they decide? Help. I mean, I'm sure that I don't need to caveat this by saying, please go to therapy. Talk about your feelings with a priest or a minister or a rabbi. But that is a catchy song, by the way. (laughs) It's the only one I've got. (laughs) You know, I think this is, again, my personal opinion is when in doubt, don't, especially when it comes to the fate mm-hmm. of another human being. And yes, mm-hmm. children do. They, they bring joy. It also is a completely different life than not having children. Oh, my gosh. It is so different. It, I think it is also worth mentioning socioeconomically. There are some people who have a lot of help and support, even when they are single parents. And there's some people who don't. And, um, you know, I'm a divorced parent and I, I did not have a nanny. I did not have help. My kids were four and seven when I became technically a single parent. It's extremely difficult and I don't recommend it. Now, there's going to be people who say, oh, but sometimes people are partnered and their partner doesn't help at all. Okay, but it's not. 
the same. And I also will say, I wasn't a person who was like, I can't wait to become a mom. Like that was never my thing. Um, and I think that it's also important for us to realize that there are many ways to have influence on the lives of the next generation besides quote, becoming a parent, people foster people, uh, mentor people do big brother and big sister things. There are many ways to satisfy. I think that need slash desire. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of a when in doubt, don't. And And also kids are awesome. Yeah. But your life is no longer yours. And, you know, I have friends who are married and those who are single who say, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to go to Disneyland anytime I want. I want to travel the world. I want to go on vacation. If you like those things, <laughs> you're not going to like kids. It's like 18 years of this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Stephanie and I always talk about how, I mean, we have those moments where we say, remember when we could just say, want to go out to dinner and we would just walk out the door? We would just go out the door and go to dinner. I mean, I remember when, when my ex-husband and I, when we first, when we, I mean, we were married at the time, when we had our first child, I remember we said to ourselves about a week in, why did we ever complain about anything before ever? <laughs> oh, she wants Indian. I want Japanese food. It's like, yeah, yeah. The F cares. Get a problem. Right? <laughs> I totally agree with you. It's a major shift, but you know, maybe you will find that you want that major shift. I really agree with you. I also think it's helpful to have a moment to really think about your life in a year, Mm -hmm. really think about your life in five or 10 years and not to be morbid and dark, but really think about your life like end of life moments, you know? Yeah. Because people's wants and needs and ideas shift, you know, even down to like, do I need a big social life? Do I just love to stay home with my spouse or partner? Well, yeah. And I think for me, having children with the person that, you know, even though we're divorced at the time we were together, that was an expression of our union. Mm -hmm. I do not know if I would have felt that desire were I not partnered. Yeah. It's, it's a big question. I mean, I felt the same, like with marriage, I had no interest my whole life. No, I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. And then I met Stephanie and I was like, I don't know how to not be married to you. That's lovely. I think somewhere between what we both said, we're right on single and enjoying life. Good luck. And uh, it's time for a break. We're going to be right back. So everybody stay put. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. Maya, before we get to this next question... Do you consider yourself a people pleaser? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not proud of that. It's like a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> what well, has to do with the next question? I got it. Yes. I'm a recovering people pleaser. How's that? That's great. I mean, it's whatever you want, you know, whatever you want is really what I mean. Right. That's true. That's true. Barbara writes, Hello, I'm an endless people pleaser, even with strangers. And I usually love helping But then I had a friend tell me she was a recovering people pleaser and my mind imploded. I did not know there was another way to be. I want to stop being so overeager to be of service to literally everyone around me, sometimes to the detriment of my own time and energy. I do not have any idea how to set boundaries, especially without guilt. Hmm. Well, I got a lot to say about this one. And people might think <laughs> I saw this question. I said I'm a recovering people pleaser. And then it was in the question that she met someone who was a recovering people pleaser. I could tell you hadn't seen the question because you said that. <laughs> but there's not a simple answer to this. This is an evolution mm-hmm. of a personality type that comes about from some pretty fundamental reasons. And I'm not accusing or passing judgment, but. Sounds like she might be. <laughs> What I was going to suggest is looking up some of the identifying features of Codependence. Um, Codependence Anonymous is an affiliated organization with Alcoholics Anonymous, and they have many resources online that there are literally questionnaires where you can try and see, is this sort of where I'm fitting in? Um, Many people raised in um, alcoholism or with mental illness will have features of this. It's a way to kind of not have your problems take over bigger problems that seem more prominent. And especially if you're a child growing up with that, it can be very confusing as to where your needs fit. Um, So to me, that's something to explore because no matter how old or young you are, there is always an opportunity to shift the focus back to yourself. And usually it means looking at your feelings, your needs, and in some cases learning to identify what you're feeling and what you need some of us aren't raised to place that as a priority, and that's a human right. Mm-hmm. Is it similar to being a martyr? I mean, people pleasers, at least in my experience and in my experience as a people pleaser, it really feels selfless. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need this? Let me do it for you. Like, I will keep showing up for you, but not make you feel bad about it. I will just brew a deep resentment in me and my health will start to suffer and then we'll see what gets left over. Yeah, there's obviously a difference there. I mean, uh, what do I know? I'm just selfishly giving out 
the best advice I can to those in need during my time off for free. But uh, anyway, Barbara, we hope that some of this has been helpful. I think you need to, to um, what does Barbara need to do? I think get more information about well, about some of the specificity. You know, is it a codependency thing? Um, is mm-hmm. it that there were unmet needs? And mm-hmm. well, generally, I always recommend therapy. Therapy rarely hurts. Barbara, go to therapy. My um, Chad in Portland needs our help. <laughs> okay. Laugh all you want. He does. He needs our help. Chad in Portland writes, Hello, Tig. I recently went grocery shopping and ran into an old high school friend who was working there. We were very close in our childhood, but lost touch shortly after graduation. We ended up meeting for drinks a couple of weeks ago to catch up and reconnect. To my surprise and disappointment, our commonality and chemistry seems to have dissipated as adults. The interaction just felt awkward. However, he must not feel the same way as he has since made several attempts to meet again. What is a kind and respectful way to decline further interaction? Thanks for your time. This is so uncomfortable and unfortunate because this happens all through life in so many different ways. So it's so crazy because especially with social media, as we talked about earlier, you're kind of forever connected to everyone always and you're updated always. And, and then this is aside from just running into somebody and going for a drink. I even had a moment where I found out, and this is going to sound harsh and weird possibly, but I saw on social media that a childhood friend of mine had passed away. Somebody that I was not, I didn't have their phone number. I didn't have their email. And I felt like, did I really need this information? Yep. I totally get it. You know, before social media, you could go on in life and not be in touch with everyone. You didn't know if people got married, had kids, passed away, got hired, fired, nothing. It's all right up in your face. Yeah. And I read that and I was like, oh my God. I was like, what happened to her? I had no way of knowing, you know? And so I walked away from that going, how much of this information do I need? How much social media do I need in my life? What do I need in my life? This goes to this question of like, it's okay that you've grown apart from people. It's okay that you've gone down different roads. And this relates to the last question, because a person who's a people pleaser will say, well, they really want to get together. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And this is right. the sickness that plagues. It's true. Women in our culture, more than mm-hmm. men, like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And right. here's what I say to that as someone who used to be the person who's like, I want to go see them. You live once in this iteration. You get a finite amount of time and we don't know when it's going to end. We don't really get a vote as to when it begins, right? What do you want today to look like? What do you want tomorrow to look like? You know, there's a Talmudic expression like live like today is it, mm-hmm. right? Those minutes, those hours, those are yours and they're special. And I don't care if you sit on your butt. I don't care if you don't have anything else to do. You get to decide what you surround yourself with and mm-hmm. you get to like, keep it simple. I'm sorry. I'm not available 
hope you're well. Mm-hmm. And some people will not get the message, still not your problem. It's mm-hmm. okay if you've said it twice nice, mm-hmm. you can let it go. Yeah. If that person is persistent. That's really on them. But the notion of like, I used to keep like postponing it and postponing it and postponing it and postponing it. Yeah. And it's like at a certain point, I'm not responsible for everyone's happiness. And just because someone wants to see me, it doesn't mean that I have to see them. And I'm not just saying that because I'm like a public person. That's mm-hmm. true for everyone. Oh, for sure. want to connect to make it happen and be healthy. You don't need to brew resentment. Like that's what happens. I know because I lived it. <laughs> I remember years ago, a friend of mine who was, who is still 10 years older than me, but when I was like 25 and she was 35, I was saying to her, I feel bad because this person keeps calling and wanting to see me calling and calling and calling. And she said, that is rude of her because she was keeping me on the phone because I felt rude getting off the phone. She said, it's rude of her keeping you on the phone because she's not considering your time. And I was like, oh, that really made a difference in my life. It was kind of what you're saying. You're the other side of this. You don't have to meet up with people. You don't have to call them back. And you can also say, I don't have the time. I have people that are so close to me in my life. And I have lived in so many different cities and states and gone to so many different schools and failed in all of them. And I've had so many different jobs and I've had so many different neighbors and I have different exes and I have family. There's a lot of people and I'm 50 years old. I cannot keep up with everybody. There's people that are very close to me now in my life presently that I make time for. And then there's another tier of people where if I have time, then maybe I'll see you at a party or maybe we'll have time to grab coffee. I don't know. Such an empowering notion also that like you are part of that interaction with that other person because I, mm-hmm. I hear this so much from people. She kept me on the phone for 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, you are <laughs> also allowed to say, hi, I have 15 minutes to talk and after you have to go and you don't need to defend it and you don't need to apologize. You don't need to tell them what you're doing. I have 15 minutes and then you get off the phone. And always I try to remind people they're going to live through it. Mm -hmm. You're going to live through it. You're both going to be breathing. And if you're not sure about that, you probably need to go to therapy or Codependence Anonymous. Go to therapy, Chad. Go to therapy. All right. Mayim, this next one is a problem caused by a very attractive person. (laughs) Sue, spelled S-I-U, writes, I went for a long vacation recently and met this guy that I found really hot and I think I've developed a crush on him. I feel that I'm still not in a place to put myself out there, but I can't stop fantasizing about being with him. What should I do? The internet doesn't help. Do I just bang it out with the next hot guy? I don't feel like talking about this with my therapist. So it looks like we can't send this person to therapy. We need to send them to a new therapist. That's what we need to do. (laughs) I'm reading this going, I don't know what to tell you. If you're not in a place to put yourself out there, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to go to therapy and you're not going to put yourself out there. 
I'm so interested why they don't want to talk about this in therapy because it seems silly. I mean, if this is a habit of fantasizing about people you don't know, that's probably an intimacy issue. <laughs> that's true. Because sometimes people don't want to put themselves out there because of the emotional risks that are actually involved in being committed and present. And mm. it would be just easier to just have the sex. Mm-hmm. Just saying. No judgment. No. But it sounds like maybe that's not the healthiest thing for Sue. Yeah. Also, did he yeah. bang it out? <laughs> bang it out. The big bang it out theory. <laughs> Sue. <laughs> oh my God. We don't know what to tell you. Go get a therapy. Go get a therapist that you can tell anything to. Go get a therapist you can bang it out with. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's terrible advice. It's terrible advice. All right. All right. Um, yeah, tell your therapist about this and then let us know what advice they give you. Better yet, oh. talk to your therapist about why you don't want to talk about this. That's probably more valuable information than should I bang it out with the next hot guy? But how great was the big bang it out theory? <laughs> it's probably been done many times. My apologies. All right, Mayim, before we go, I need you to do one more segment with me. It's called Best Advice, Worst Advice. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, trusting your instinct, which for me has been really hard because I don't always feel like I know what my instinct is. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess for me, the advice um, has inherent in the instruction to find that kind of core that feels like this is my instinct. Yeah, it's kind of that thing of, you know. Right. You know. <laughs> yes. I mean, really, it's like, sit with it. Yep. You know. You know. What's the worst advice you've received? Um, this is an odd one, but I feel like it's a safe place to share this. I was told when I got divorced that what I, quote, should do is have sex with lots of people without... Like without any emotional connection and just like that, that was a necessary thing. Hmm. That was not good advice. That sounds like hell. I'm not saying that I did that, uh-huh. but what I know is that that's not the answer for everyone. And that's not necessarily mm. the way that everyone heals. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. No, I know. I'm thinking of people like in the... 1800s with a bonnet on their head and, you know, in a covered wagon. Like, were they going to go big bang it out theory with, you know, on the prairie? I, sorry, that's funny. No, but I think uh, it was bad advice for me. Let's just put mm. it that way. Because for mm. people that might be very empowering, I don't find that empowering. Also, you know, I've been told if you don't feel like having sex with someone, just get really drunk. Also, terrible advice. Oh, the worst. I mean, it's bad. Not good for me. I have to say the one thing, and this is ridiculous and embarrassing that it took me this long as a human being alive on the planet. I'm not a big drinker by any stretch of the imagination. And I went to a party like three or four years ago and I was so uncomfortable and miserable and I can't stand small talk. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I was losing my mind. I was in a panic and I had a drink, maybe had two drinks. And I came home and I told Stephanie, 
Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. I had a couple of drinks and I was fine at this party. And she was like, wait, you just realized? <laughs> I, I ha- It never dawned on me that people were drinking to feel comfortable. I mean, I... I am 46 years old and I uh-huh. just realized literally this many years old that I am yeah. that most of the people who are having sex with people that they're not already in a relationship with, they have to get intoxicated to do that. And I was like, see, I didn't even know that. That's not the way we were designed as primates to be like, <laughs> To have a cocktail. Like our chimpanzee cousins are not like, I really need to procreate, but if I don't drink fermented. If I do not have a skinny margarita easy on the salt, there's no way. There's no possible way. And when I've shared this with friends of mine who have been single longer than I have spent in my life being single, they're like, yeah, that's the only way to make that happen. I'm like, that's not okay. That's so insane. What the kids are doing they go out and they drink and they have sex and then it's like it's fine because it's like i'm drunk like of course i thought i had invented something when i had a couple of drinks and i was having small talk and i was fine pulling a tig pulling a tig <laughs> at an event and i also have social anxiety so i will start crying my, my publicist <laughs> left many events with me and who knows get her a glass of chardonnay and she will stay at this event for more than 28 minutes Oh my God. Maybe I need a publicist. Okay. Maya, it was an absolute pleasure. I think you're so great. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the past couple of months, even though it's in podcast world, maybe we can be in-person friends sometime. I hope that our paths will continue to cross and I will not make you drink alcohol. If we get together in person, when you start feeling like you need to drink, that's when we say goodnight. (laughs) Yes. That is when we say goodnight. All right. Do you have anything that you would like to uh, share with the world? Um, My podcast is Mayan Bialik's Breakdown. We are at Bialik Breakdown on Instagram. I have a show, Call Me Cat. We're in our second season on Fox. We premiere in January. Um, And I think that's it. That's me. (laughs) That's that's a lot. It's incredible. And congrats on all of that. Thank you. uh, I have a national tour called Hello Again. And There's a reason, you know, I'm saying hello again to the world. I'm coming back. But there's also another reason. And it's worth buying tickets to find out why the tour is called Hello Again. I am intrigued. (laughs) Yeah, well, get your tickets now. Go to tignotaro.com. And Mayim, thank you so, so much. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. 
It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark and Dan Latou. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.